0: Let's just say that story with Elijah uh, and God sending bears to attack these children. They say children, but uh, a more accurate translation is young men. Just that might help because they called him baldy. Um, that hit me a little close to home. And so next time someone makes fun of my hair that's slowly going away, I'm not, I'm not going to ask God to send bears at them, I'm not. But what a weird, interesting story. Now we're not talking about that one today, but it's a good example of these stories in the Bible that are just kind of strange. Now maybe you're like me in that, uh, you know, you grew up, you, you were in Sunday school and you heard these Bible stories, but then at some point in your life you started reading the Bible for yourself. And I remember when I first read Noah's Ark, I was maybe in late elementary school or so, and I read Noah's Ark, I'm like, that's not nearly as cute as I remember it to be, and it is really actually kind of devastating and hard to understand even. And then as you keep reading, you just read of these, uh, this crazy violence that's in the Bible. And, 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 and then as I got a little older, I stumbled upon Song of Solomon, and that opened my eyes to some things as well. And so in those early years, and even still now, I read the Bible, and sometimes it's strange or hard to understand or even just downright confusing. But 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. All of it, even the weird parts. So we're going to, I I guess, put that to a test and just dive into one of these stories and see what truth comes from it, from these head-scratchers. And I think we'll find that even in the bizarre, we can still gain a better understanding of God and the Christian life. So today we're diving into Numbers 22. This is the story of Balaam and the donkey. Yes, the talking donkey, the noble steed, if you will. And uh, this was our reading on Monday. And to really help us make sense of this, we really need a good understanding of our context. There's a lot uh, involved here, so we're gonna, uh, I'm going to give you a big picture view, we're going to kind of dissect it a bit, and then we'll, we'll get, do a bit more deep reading, and then we'll, we'll finish off with our conclusions on that. So you may remember the Exodus, right, where God promises to deliver his people of Israel to the Promised Land. They were in slavery in Egypt for years and years and years and years. And so Moses comes and God frees his people from Pharaoh, using Moses, and they enter the wilderness. And they're on this wilderness journey, and the people complain, and they rebel. You should read uh, the entire story of, uh, of in the wilderness, how many times they grumble or rebel. It's a lot. In fact, they had seven rebellions during this time. Now, we're reading from the book of Numbers today. And I invite you to even turn to Numbers 22. We're going to really be camped there all day. Uh, Not all day. We will only be here about maybe another half hour. Not all day. But Numbers 22. Numbers, the Hebrew uh, name for this book in the Bible is in the wilderness. That's way more exciting than Numbers. I always thought Numbers was just going to be like talking of, like I don't know, them counting things. It's not, though. This book is an epic travelogue. And it's their time going through the desert, following the people of Israel, God's people. And this journey through the wilderness to get to the promised land, it should have only been about, give or take, a month-long journey. And it takes them 40 years. 40 years because they had all these rebellions. They kept complaining. They needed to be corrected. They needed to receive training. They had punishments for some of their actions. All those kinds of things. It took them 40 years to get there. And the people rebelling, the people who wanted to go back to Egypt, it all boils down to God's people being resistant to God and his ways. And if you boil it down further, it's a refusal to trust him and to live by faith. So despite the complaints and the rebellions, God, through it all, he remains faithful to his people. So just before our story today, we read that God gives Israel a victory over King Sihon of the Amorites and Og, king of Bashan. If anyone's about to have a baby, I highly recommend you name your kid Og. Oog, Og, either way, good name. So God's people then enter Moab. And the king of Moab, he's a man by the name of Balak. And knowing of Israel's swift and full victory over these other kings, we see in Numbers 22, verse 2, it says this, Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites and Moab, and he was terrified because there were so many people. That word uh, terrified, in the Hebrew, you translate it, you parse it out a little bit more. A more accurate read of it would be was extremely very terrified. We usually don't talk that like that, but that's kind of what it boils down to. It was extremely very terrified, or a deep, sickening dread. Have you ever been so afraid that you threw up? Have you? Have any of you ever been that afraid? We got one. All right, I have, uh, yeah, I've been so afraid I've thrown up. I remember my very first wrestling match. um, I was so nervous and so afraid, and I was the first one to go, and it was a home match, so all my friends are in the stand, and I knew I wasn't very good, and I had to go first, and I was terrified, and I threw up before, and I threw up after, and I lost the match. It didn't last long. It was rough. So, this is what King Balak was feeling. He was terrified. He knows he's no match for Israel. There's no chance uh, of, of conquering them with any kind of military force. He doesn't have a shot. But he thinks maybe, maybe he would by supernatural means. And this is where Balaam enters the picture. 22 verse 5 says, Balak sent messengers to summon Balaam. So who is this Balaam guy? Well, he's the proud owner of a donkey. We know that. Maybe not so proud after this story, but he owns a donkey. He was also an internationally famous sorcerer. Okay, he practiced animal divination. Uh, he, 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 he had a huge reputation, too, a big following. He was like the most famous for us. He was called a Beru sorcerer or diviner, um, and they used animals and like entrails and their insides to kind of what was going to happen and they would often uh, work with these gods to kind of come to agreements to bless or curse people. And that's why Balak brings Balaam in. He brings him in to curse Israel to defeat them by supernatural means. I think what we can read from this is Balak, the king, is deeply desperate. Very desperate. He will pay any amount. He will do anything to stop Israel from wiping them out. And keep in mind, there was no mention of Israel's plans to wipe them out. They happened to just be sitting on his doorstep. But he was so afraid of what happened to the Amorites that it was going to happen to them that he is going through these desperate measures. So Balaam, this is the thing with Balaam, he thought God... The God of Israel was just like any other deity whom he could perhaps manipulate using these uh, divination acts. But he quickly learns that the God of Israel happens to be the one true God, he's much different. So Balak sends his guys to Balaam, offers a hearty payment to him to come and curse the people of Israel. So Balaam says, "Okay, let me talk to this uh, God of Israel, and uh, and and see what's going on here." An important thing to note is that Balak, or excuse me, Balaam, he was a pagan. Okay, he knew of the God of Israel, but he did not follow him. He, he, as a sorcerer, he believed he could work with them to curse or bless people. That's why Balaam brought him in. But, but he wasn't a follower of him. He wasn't in the line of prophets like we would normally think. And when we first read the story, it's like, wait, this prophet is doing all this weird stuff. But he was actually a pagan, which is kind of interesting to think of how this story unfolds. So he goes to talk to God, and this is what God says in verse 12. Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. Balaam tells the messengers, hey, I can't do it. So he sends them back to Balak. But remember, Balak is desperate. So, he sends another group to ask again. In verse 15, it says, Balak sent other officials, and they were more numerous and more distinguished than the first. Oh, these aren't the scrubs anymore. He's sending the best of the best. He's sending, you know, the good-looking ones, the tough-looking ones, the important-looking ones. And highly likely, he sent more money and an increased fee Balaam's way as well. So, Balaam says, you know, no matter how much they pay him, He can only do what God tells him to do. But he needs to renegotiate with God first because God first said no. If you remember, he said no. But he's like, well, let me just see, uh, you know, now that the pot's sweetened, what God may say. And this is where things really start to get interesting. So let's read on and see what happens. We're going to read from verse uh, first from verse 20 of chapter 22 of Numbers through 22. And then we'll pause. This is what it says. That night... God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. And so Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road and opposed him. Wait, what? Did you catch that? God tells him to go, so he goes, and then God is mad that he goes. What's that about? To help us understand, have you ever dealt with a person who's going to follow his and her will regardless of what you say? Uh, It sounds like they're asking you for permission on something, but they really are not. Here's a scenario to help us understand. Imagine this scene, husbands, the guys are planning to go to a ball game, but it happens to be on a night where you already had plans established with your wife. So you ask your wife if you can cancel your plans with her and you know, go to the game instead, but she says, no, these are important plans, they're important to me, I'd like it if we kept these plans. So you go back to your friends and you tell them you can't go. But they're like, oh, man, you can't miss this game. It's going to be the best game. We're going to have the most amazing time. You'll regret it for the rest of your life if you don't go. And you're like, yeah, I do really want to go to that game. So you go back to your wife. You ask, hey, can I please go with my friends? You know, they're kind of demanding I go. It sounds like a really good game uh, and all of that. And what does she say? Well, if your friends are really demanding you to go and you really want to go, that's what you really want to do, then you can go ahead and go with them. Now, is your wife pleased in this scenario? Did she really... uh, Is she happy? Did she really give you permission? No, not really. She gave you over to your own will. She let you do what you were bound and determined do, And this is what's happening with Balaam and the Lord. You see, Balaam is determined to go with these people and to go do this thing, even though the Lord had already plainly said to him to not go with them. But he goes back, and so God says, okay, you can go with them. But God knows what's in the heart. You see, all that Balaam wants is the wealth that Balak is offering And we can validate this conclusion by how the rest of the scriptures describe Balaam. They describe him as a wicked person. In fact, it's so negative how Balaam is described. It's in such a negative and cruel way. They use similar language to describe Balaam as they describe Judas. So God told him to go, but Balaam had nothing but greed in his heart. He didn't have faith. He wasn't acting on faith. He was acting on greed. And so God is displeased and intends on sending Balaam an important message. So let's read the rest of our passage today. And let's pay attention to some of those wait what moments in this story. So we're going to pick up uh, with verse 22 and we'll go on until verse 35. This is what it says. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. So Balaam beat the donkey to get it back on the road. And then the angel of the Lord had stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So Balaam beat the donkey again. And then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it laid down under Balaam. And he was angry. That is, Balaam was angry, and he beat it with a staff. So then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? And Balaam answered the donkey, You made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey? Which you have always ridden to this day, have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Uh, no, said Balaam. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and he fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me. And turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have saved the donkey. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you're standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I'll go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. That might be one of the most humorous uh, accounts in the Bible, and this actually happened. And it's... It's a head-scratcher for a few reasons there. I mean, first of all, the donkey talks, okay? And that's just, that's just funny. And if you don't picture, you know, wondering where Shrek is when you hear of a talking donkey, I don't know where you've been the last 20 years, but I'm, I'm reading that and I've, I had to do my best to not do my Eddie Murphy impression because that just embarrass us all. But the donkey talks, and that's crazy. But it, even more than that, uh, the, the donkey's reasonable. The donkey's very reasonable. It's being kind. It's being courteous. Balaam, though, is not. the 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 donkey talks, and Balaam doesn't even react to the fact his ta- donkey he's ridden forever is now talking for the first time. He's just so mad and so blinded by his anger of this donkey not doing what he's supposed to. He doesn't even blink. Like he, he, nothing. And then the angel, I love when the angel reveals himself to Balaam. He's like, all right, I need to just put a stop to this and show Balaam what's up. So God opens Balaam's eyes, and the first thing the angel says is, why did you beat your donkey three times? That's not even what the angel wants to first address. He has to address the fact that his path is a reckless one. But he first has to deal with the reality, like, why are you misbehaving and mistreating your donkey? That's the first thing the angel says. I can just see it's like that disappointed parent, like, why did you do that? You know you shouldn't do that. And then the angel, representing God, says... If your donkey didn't stop you, I surely would have killed you by now. My patience is up, okay? But guess what? That donkey, I would have spared him. <laughs> I just think that's really funny. I'll, I'll, I'll kill this human because I'm so sick and tired of this wickedness and the greed in you that you can't even see what's going on. But that donkey is more faithful than you, and I will spare the donkey. But we also see God has control here. He opens the donkey's mouth and allows him to speak. And he also opens Balaam's eyes, and he knows what's in Balaam's heart. You see, the angel representing God, he was so displeased with Balaam here, to the point he was ready to kill him. And if you see, he's displeased because his path is a reckless one before him. And then you see Balaam's response. Balaam says, I have sinned. That's a good start. Acknowledge his wrongdoing. I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, I find it interesting that the donkey had eyes to see the angel, but Balaam didn't. And I wonder why that is. Is it because the path he was on was reckless, so it blinded him to see this? Was God actively preventing him to see it because he needed to be humbled and learn that, hey, your donkey knew this and you didn't, and you're supposed to be like this big wig sorcerer person and you couldn't even see. And then this is where it really is the kicker. Balaam says, now, if you are displeased, I will go back. Is there any question at this point that God's displeased? Any question at all? I mean, the angel said, I'm ready to strike you down. You're lucky the donkey saved you. And let's have one little uh, talk here. It's very clear he's displeased. But God sends a message because God has a plan and he's going to see it through regardless of Balaam's uh, kind of plan. He says, again, you have to say what I tell you. You can't do anything else. So if I ask you to bless the people, you have to bless the people. And so we move forward. And this is the incredible thing. Balaam meets with Balak after the story. He's hopeful Balaam will curse God's people. He reminds him, I can only say what God tells me to. He goes through all these crazy preparations. There's like seven animals to prepare for sacrifice, um, and this isn't this isn't sacrifice like we read about in the Bible. This is sacrifices that Balaam does in line with being a Beru diviner. It's his animal kind of sacrifice. It's not the sacrifice to God, okay? And so it's different there. We read it and we think, oh yeah, an animal sacrifice. We know how that goes. Not the same kind. And then Balaam prepares to say what God says. He ends up blessing the people of Israel. Balak, the king, you can imagine, is furious. I paid all this money. I did all this work. And Balaam does the opposite of what I ask. But we remember he's deeply desperate. So let's try again. Let's go to another high mountain. Let's set up and do this animal sacrifices again. And Balaam goes to speak And what happens? God blesses God's people through Balaam again. Same thing happens. Balak is furious, but still incredibly desperate. So he goes on thinking, ah, third times the charm. And what happens? Balaam again blesses the people of God. And in fact, this one's especially important because it, uh, in it, God's blessing, it links back to God's covenantal promises he made and established with Abraham. Tying these people, showing that, that, that God keeps his promises. Despite all the wickedness, the complaining, the rebellions that Israel had done in the face of God in their journey in the wilderness, God says, My covenant is true. My promises are sure. You are still my people. And that's an important uh, moment in the entire thread of Israel's journey. So, in this head-scratching story, what can we take away? Well, if a donkey talks to you, maybe listen. I think that's the biggest takeaway, right? But we also learn that God is sovereign. He's in total and complete control. He has a good plan, and nothing and no one can stop God from advancing his mission. Indeed, he can work through less than perfect people, including Balaam, but we also know he does that every single day through you and me. Nothing will stop God to see his kingdom cause move forward because he will use the ordinary to do the extraordinary, and his love And his promises, his purposes continue to move forward. We also are reminded that God is loving. God is loving. You see, he persisted in a long suffering relationship with the people of Israel through the wilderness, through the rebellions, through the complaining. And his love persists for us through it all as well. God holds us together day by day with his love that endures forever. And we also see that God knows the heart. God knows what's inside. He knows our intentions. He knows our motives. And he will do anything to try and open our eyes to see where we may be going astray. In this story, he used a talking donkey to help give Balaam a wake-up call. In your life, it may be something different. You see, the, the, the donkey tried to stop Balaam three times, and sometimes in life, there are things that happen to us, and they feel like roadblocks or speed bumps. It's possible sometimes that might be God asking you to pause to reflect, to open your eyes and see what is really going on around you. And no matter what is happening in your life, we are on this path. So I encourage you, I encourage me and all of us today to draw close to God, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I think as we come to the conclusion of our message we can find that even in a story with a talking donkey that seems just silly without anything useful for teaching that it's actually full of God's truth that we need it to be reminded of so may we take this word and may God bless it as we receive it today amen will you please pray with me heavenly father We give you thanks for the amazing ways that you work, for the unique ways that you work. We thank you for your word that shows us that indeed it is all useful for teaching, for equipping, that it is God-breathed. God, we pray, Lord, that as we walk through this life, if we are on a path that is leading us towards destruction, if there is greed or wickedness, in our hearts, we pray that you provide those signs and reveal that to us so that we may return again to the path that you've laid before us. We give you thanks that even in the bizarre and the funny, we can see your love and your goodness, God. It is overwhelming. It, is, it does endure forever. Draw us back to you, Lord, because you are so good. You're so good and worthy of all of our praise. We pray all this in the power, authority, and majesty of Jesus' name. Amen.